Tēnā koutou, no mai, haere mai, welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tame. Tonight, the Deputy Prime Minister wants us down to level two ASAP. He thinks we can travel domestically and that trans-Tasman tourism should be able to restart. We've got to see that it's possible and lay down the criterion so that people can be assured it's safe. Then, the head of ANZ says she's gutted by criticism from the government that banks haven't supported small businesses enough. But she has good news for homeowners worried about dropping house prices. So there are some people who have very new lending that might be at the top, but they'll be the minority. It's in no one's interest to, for people to lose their family homes. Dr Aisha Verrill is back with us tonight. Yes, level two is in sight, but our contact tracing still isn't quite up to scratch. Uh, not quite, um, but it does look like uh, we're on track and uh, um, uh, really the government needs to answer to that when they move to level two. We can mark down May 4th, 2020 as the first time in the coronavirus pandemic that New Zealand reported no new cases of COVID-19. But the tension between the public health response and our economic recovery is as pronounced as ever. Tomorrow, Jacinda Ardern will phone into Australia's Cabinet meeting to discuss the idea of a trans-Tasman bubble. That idea is being celebrated by Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters. And this afternoon, I asked if, on the latest numbers, he supports moving to Level 2 next week. Look, that's over to my Cabinet colleagues in concert to decide. Uh, do I hope that that can happen? Yes, with the greatest of urgency, because uh, every day that we're unable to get there is an exponential delay in our recovery. Talk to us more about that. What is the risk at the moment that the economic damage caused by this shutdown in the long run will turn out to be worse than the health effects and the deaths caused by COVID-19? Well, look, I've heard that view, but the fact is we were forced by circumstances because of an outside malignant invasion to take actions to protect the health of the New Zealand people and long-term our economic survival as well. But we must keep that in balance. In short, we're on top of uh, the COVID-19 attack. As I said before, we're beating the crap out of it, and so are we in Australia doing that, and that's great. And our job is to now, with every innovative idea we've got, thinking outside the square and thinking laterally, get ourselves back into the economic recovery game as soon as possible. Are you all at all concerned, though, that we might be struggling to hit the right balance? I look at some projections here from ANZ reported in the Wall Street Journal overnight that uh, New Zealand's economy will be more than 10% smaller at the end of 2020 compared to the Australians, which will be down 4.7%, because, of course, Australia has had fewer restrictions on business. Well, that's a comparison that people are making by way of a forecast, but it uh, overlooks one thing. The New Zealand people have shown an enormous capacity to cooperate, probably beyond our expectations. If we can keep that cooperation going, if they realise that level four to level three means that as we go to level two, we're all responsible to try and get the economy to level one and then beyond, if we all do that, then our recovery can be speeded up. And in every way, we've got to think new, we've got to think fast, and all the clichés about being agile are now going to be put to the test, and we've got to be up to it. Will we be able to travel between regions at Level 2? 
Well, again, it's over to others to decide, but it points to that being a certain possibility if it's to actually have the effect of reopening up our economy. Travel between regions will be essential. What's your position on it, though? I know you are one of many in Cabinet who are making these decisions, but, but where do you sit on Level 2 travel restrictions? Well, if you ask me personally, and my party personally, it is to ensure that we lose no opportunity, whilst safeguarding the health of New Zealand, nevertheless lose no opportunity by not being prepared to take this to the recovery level with the greatest of speed possible. And I can't emphasise that. It's time to park our ideology outside the door and get on with the recovery. And if we do that, then we've got a chance, as former uh, generations have had, mm. in times of great crisis, to do just that. I just explain that a little more for us. What ideology are, are you referring to there? Well, I'm talking about Seddon in the great period of our first great rise as an economy, and also the 35 Labour Party, dare I say it, when they took the bull by the horns, they went out there and they realised that the sweat and equity of people combined with hope would be a massive turnaround, and it was, so much so that the Labour Party, of the, the National Party of the 50s, stole half those ideas and turned it into property-owned democracy. Why? Because they knew it would work. Now, what I'm saying is, we don't want to return to nostalgia, but we can return to a nostalgic result of great world leadership if we think into the future in IT, in new markets, in diversity, in self-sufficiency back home, in using all our resources here to add value for the hundreds of thousands of workers in our country and the billions of value in our country being retained here rather than being the preserve of some other country mm. because we fail to add value. Every smart idea about economic nationalism is now going to be on the line. I'll ask you a little bit more about your visions for New Zealand's future in a couple of minutes. I just want to go back to those Level 2 restrictions, though. Would you and your party support domestic tourism at Alert Level 2? Uh, safe domestic tourism? Most certainly. It's mass gatherings which are the concern. But if we can, we should be able to, with the airlines and a number of other uh, transport utilities, practice safe uh, movement and safe assembly, uh, then we will facilitate economic recovery doing that. And if we don't and we haven't got ready, then we should be working around the clock 24-7 for the day when we open up and everyone knows with precision what the criteria and what the rules are. What about trans-Tasman tourism at alert level two. Would you be comfortable with that? Well, I can see aspects of it which are surely possible, such as, for example, ski fields out of Australia not being what they are in New Zealand, uh, plane loads from Australia coming under very managed circumstances, being managed here in very close circumstances. Nevertheless, visiting our ski fields and returning to Australia in a way that's safe for ourselves. And here's the great fact. We've already had an example of the trans-Tasman bubble working. The Warriors are in Australia, in Tamworth today, because we put forward the proposal, the union, rugby, the league union did, and the Australian mm -hmm. government agreed. So the first great example of the trans-Tasman bubble has already happened. And we're going to do that a thousand, time over, a thousand times over in a way that is safe. Of course, the Warriors are in quarantine for two weeks upon their arrival in Australia. Would that requirement apply to Australian tourists here? 
not if we're managing them so that they don't go out of their control of either the airlines, the transportation to, as I say, the ski fields, just being an example, and then their return. We've got to see that it's possible and lay down the criterion so that people can be assured it's safe. Would the New Zealand contact tracing app speak to the Australian contact tracing app? Well, now you're asking me for a personal view, and when they had the uh, terrible bushfires in Australia, that app never got past 20%. Right now, I think in Australia, their app is at uh, 3 million people. The problem is, it has to be at 60% of the population to work. Mm. So whilst we would love for that to be the case, uh, personally, I've yet to see the evidence that that will work. Australia has moved to protect some of its key assets from foreign investment at a particularly vulnerable time. Will New Zealand move to do the same thing? Well, I sure hope so. The last thing we want is is at a time of depressed prices caused not Mm. because of the fault of our business, that we become sort of a knock shop uh, for uh, overseas buying. The Australians have made the right move, and I believe we will as well. Are you pushing for that, Minister? Not just me. There are others as well pushing real hard for that as fast as possible. We cannot afford to lose our asset wealth base so that when it's over, we own less of our economy, not the chance to own far more of it. Will you be pushing for more limits on immigration? Well, I think that's already uh, a question that's, sort of, how shall I say, not being critical, critical of you, but it's, it's obsolete. At the moment, with all the unemployment we faced, we owe our people every opportunity mm-hmm. to be employed here in New Zealand first in an acceptable way. But to protect future jobs in the years to come, what sort of numbers would you like to see put on immigration? Well, in the future, I hope we go back to what we should have always been doing, bringing people here that can expand our export wealth, our internal wealth creation, or in some cases essential jobs that we can't fill. But only those people that fit our plan for economic recovery. If we get careless, as past governments have done, and as we did when we were going at 72000 a year to prop up the property market, That is a fatal policy, which has been exposed hugely right now with COVID-19. Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters. We should have more detail on what Level 2 will look like this coming Thursday. And then, of course, this time next week, the government will have just decided when we will be moving to alert Level 2. After the break on Q&A, what would a double-digit drop in house prices mean for Kiwi homeowners? ANZ's boss is with us. Mortgage sales are very, very rare. Yes, but banks are expecting some big falls in property prices. So should homeowners be worried? Hoki Mayanor, welcome back to Q&A. Are banks doing enough to support Kiwi businesses? The finance minister doesn't think so, but the boss of New Zealand's biggest bank, ANZ, disagrees and says actually there's reason for business owners and homeowners to feel optimistic. ANZ New Zealand CEO Antonia Watson had only officially been in the job a few months before COVID-19. And I began by asking her about the differences between the New Zealand and Australian responses to COVID-19 and the subsequent economic impact. 
If I look at it from an ANZ sense, which is what I know the best, very little difference. We're both operating our businesses in very much the same way, with most people working from home. I think Australia, from a commercial sense, has had a bit more open, but that's been as a, as a result of them probably not being on the trajectory that we were in New Zealand at a point in time when we went to level four. Who gets out of this faster then? If Australia has had fewer restrictions on yeah. business, does that inevitably mean the economic damage is less? Our economists have said in Australia it might mean a 13% impact on this quarter's GDP. Our economists, our economists in New Zealand are saying 17%, so a little difference. I also think, though, that New Zealand is really well set up for getting through it because we've gone so hard and went early. And we're in a good position as an economy to, um, to, to perform. It's going to be hard. There's no doubt about that. Mm. There'll be people that are really suffering and businesses that will fail. But we also started in a good position. Businesses' balance sheets were quite strong. Banks' balance sheets were strong. The government was in an excellent fiscal position. The Reserve Bank's been willing to use monetary policy. So we've had a lot of levers to be able to pull. A small difference then in your projections for this quarter, but what about two or three quarters down the track? How are things looking? Is New Zealand likely to be slower at that point? Um, not being not an economist, I maybe a little bit. I don't think there'll be much in it. I really don't, because I think we're well posi well positioned to recover from this. What kind of an impact would a bubble between New Zealand and Australia have from an economic perspective? I would love to see that be able to happen. I think it. I think if you talk to people about confidence, the confidence to travel gets harder the further away you're talking about travelling. So the idea that we could take our, let's say, September, November holidays on the Gold Coast or in Rotorua or in Queenstown, just having that choice, I think, will help people. I think it will help business. We've got so much trans-Tasman cooperation between businesses. I think that'll be helpful as well. So being able to work towards something like that as long as it's not too quickly and we're sure of the outcome, I think would be a great outcome. You're a big business lender. Of course, we've recorded yes. zero COVID cases for the first time in New Zealand today since this crisis began. Do you think New Zealand needs to move to level two next week? I think that depends on how things are looking. I think I'll leave it to the health professionals. But the sooner we can get to level two, that's really important for the economy. But the worst thing that could happen is that we stuff it up and we end up back in level four. Because I think not only does that reduce economic activity again, that will have an impact on people's confidence. And confidence is a big driver of economic activity. Grant Robertson says you, as in the big banks, haven't been uh, meeting the needs of small businesses, or at least to his expectations during this crisis. The government has, of course, stepped in to give loans to small business. What is your response to the finance minister's criticism? I was a bit gutted to hear that. Honestly, on behalf of our, we've got nearly a thousand business lenders who've been working really hard with our business customers over the last few weeks. We've actually touched nearly $10 billion of business lending, either repayment deferrals, interest only, new lending. We've done nearly $2 billion of new lending to businesses. And as, as an industry, we've done over $6 billion of new lending to businesses. So we've, we've, we've done a lot, I think. Um, the difficulty is you have to balance the, um, the need of the business with making sure that you're actually lending responsibly and you're lending to someone who's got a plan to pay it back and the ability to pay it back, or else you're just adding sort of adding insult to injury, really. Why do you think you didn't meet his, uh, meet his expectations on that front? Why would he make that criticism? 
I'm not sure. We've been we've been very upfront with Treasury. Obviously, you saw the tweaks to the business finance guarantee scheme. Mm. I think you know if we go take ourselves back four weeks, we might have expected an earlier uptake of that of that scheme. But what's become clear over time is that all the other opportunities there have been, for example, the wage subsidy scheme, that has been incredibly successful. That bought $3 billion of liquidity into ANZ customers alone in terms of the ability to meet their, their debts and their wages and things like that. So it's been a slower burn. It's the sort of thing that, you know, you take your wage subsidy, you cut some costs, you have lower interest rates, and then you start to see level two looking like it's going to happen and you start to be able to plan for the future of your business. And you think, OK, well, now's the time I need that new lending to help me with that rebuild and recover phase. So I think it's that an understanding we've come to collectively that um, new lending becomes more of an issue when it gets to rebuild and recover and the ability to see what the new normal might look like for a business. And, and the immediate thing was I need, a, I need an immediate working capital overdraft extension so that I can pay my bills next week. The Reserve Bank governor says banks need to be courageous in supporting Kiwis through this shock. Uh, Westpac has, of course, uh, announced a $211 million loss today. Will we see ANZ taking a big hit on its profits in the months and years to come? We, we took a $230 million um, credit impairment charge last week when we announced our results, so uh, in, a, in, a, in a similar vein. That's a very early estimate of what we might be wearing as a result of um, the, look, the inevitable mm. um, outcome of, a, of a, what's looking like it's going to be a recession. And that's why we need to build up our balance sheets in the good times so that we can weather the bad times, because that's, that's how it impacts banks. It impacts banks and credit losses. When do you think is the crunch time for your business customers? I think the crunch time will be over the... We need to be in more business as usual, so let's say level two, level, level one. It will be over the next few months as we really see the confidence in the economy, we get to understand whether we have another outbreak and we need to go back up the levels. I think that would be a real crunch time if that happens. So it's very hard to predict because we don't know yet what the health outcomes are going to be, which is why we have to be so, so tight on making sure we do the best we can to make sure that we don't end up in that level four type of situation again. I want to look at some of your consumer lending for a moment. ANZ is predicting house prices could drop by 15%. As a lender, how tolerant will you be when some customers go into negative equity? Um, negative equity isn't an issue. I mean, obviously, if it's your personal asset, you feel, you know, you don't like that outcome. But it is an issue as long as you can keep paying off your lending. And because we've had the restrictions on loan-to-value ratios for a number of mm. years now, there aren't many people that are exposed to a 15% drop in house prices. We, we reported our results last week. I think our average LVR at the moment across our book is something like 57%. So there are some people who have very new lending that might be at the top, but they'll be the minority, and, we'll, and we're here to do what we can to help them through that. It's in no-one's interest to, for people to lose their family homes. Does that extend to, to business owners? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we will always, that will always be a last resort. And what tends to happen in New Zealand is that mortgagee sales are very, very rare. When we had the, G, when we had the GFC, we had um, 
mainly it was sort of those apartments in downtown Auckland that had a huge decrease in value that were going to mortgagee sales. Kiwis, Kiwis sort their own problems out before they let the bank do it for them, and that's in everyone's interest as well. Banks are still charging 20% interest on credit cards. Why so much when interest rates are so low? 20% would be for a um, an all bells and whistles, um, air points type of credit card. Our low rate credit cards, we're currently on 9.95%, and that's the right card for someone who's not paying it off every month. If you're paying 20% and not paying it off every month, please come and talk to us about getting the right card. It's still 10% effectively is pretty high given where interest rates are at. The thing you've got to remember with credit cards is that there's a lot more that's happening in there. It's paying for a higher instance of fraud. It's paying for an interest-free period, so you get to your 44 days or your 55 days that you don't have to make any payments for. Um, it's paying for sometimes airpoints mm. and insurance and things like that. So there's a lot more that goes into the co It's unsecured lending. Um, so And we have a higher rate of losses in the credit card book. So there's a lot that you have to pay for other than just the cost of the funding of the credit card. It's interesting, when you see the questions sent to financial advice columns at the moment, there are yeah. a lot of people concerned about the safety and security of the banks themselves. How secure are our banks? We are, we are very safe and secure. We learnt a lot from the GFC, and the GFC, the, the thing I'd like to say at the moment is that and the GFC banks are part of the problem. I really think we're part of the solution here, and part of the reason for that is that we're very well capitalised, we have got more liquidity than we've probably ever had. So that's the ability to lend, the ability to refinance um, existing borrowing that we have. We have, um, and we have really good funding sources. So our balance sheets are very, very strong. The governor acknowledged that, the governor of the Reserve Bank acknowledged that the week before last, I think. And we, we set up really, really well with the support of the Reserve Bank to weather this crisis. Antonia Watson from ANZ. Send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can email us at Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. And remember, we put the show up as a podcast every week. Next, Dr Aisha Verrill on what comes next. I find that hard to imagine that we wouldn't have restrictions on large, at least large indoor gatherings in the, in the next couple of years. I, I think we're likely to need that. Life at level two and beyond. Some of those restrictions could be with us for a long time. And then, hey, you got to do something to pass the time, right? <laughs> but will lockdown mean a baby boom in nine months' time? So despite this result, my message remains the same, as I note uh, does the message of Dr Ashley Bloomfield. Stay the course. We cannot afford to squander the good work to date when our end goal is so close and within reach. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern on an historic day of sorts. Aotearoa recording no cases of COVID-19 for the first time. Epidemiologist Dr Aisha Verrill has been watching the case numbers closely. After raising concern about our contact tracing capacity on Q&A last month, she audited our systems for the Ministry of Health and the government injected millions of dollars into the contact tracing capacity. Tonight, I asked her if she thinks we're ready to go to level two next week. I think we need to keep seeing really low case numbers. We don't have to hit zero every day. It was great to do it today, but I expect we'll still have ongoing um, cases who are people coming in from overseas. 
And so long as they're in quarantine and there's no onwards transmission from them, then I think that's acceptable. And the other thing is making sure these, um, these clusters are closed off. We expect a lot of them to be closed off soon, and I'd really hope they, we wouldn't be seeing onwards transmission from those clusters uh, as we move into level two. So if we can close off those clusters by the start of next week and we haven't seen a massive spike in the numbers of people uh, confirmed to have COVID-19, do you think we can move to level two safely next week? Yeah, so the other part of that is having the contact tracing at the level it needs to be. And I've said that needs to be three or four times what it was before we went into the level four lockdown. Uh, the government seems to be working hard on the recommendations I made, so I'm hopeful we'll, we'll get there on, on that front. And keeping up our high testing uh, levels will be important as well. Are we where we need to be with contact tracing yet? So we're uh, not quite. Um, but it does look like uh, we're on track and uh, um, uh, really the government needs to answer to that when they move to level two. How far off are we in, in your estimation? Yeah, so um, I've been helping the ministry with their uh, reporting of their performance in the last week and I, I hope they'll be able to share that information with the public soon. But I think the um, thing is the performance is good while the case numbers are low. Um, really that ability to scale up if we do have more cases is the issue. And there's one other thing. One of the things that's coming through is that a big limit is the time it takes for people to get tested. People are waiting um, maybe four or five, maybe more days to get tested, and we really need to shorten that. If you feel ill, get tested on the first or second day of your illness. Don't leave it, because if you leave it, all those delays add up to delays in contact tracing as well. So that's on members of the public rather than on health authorities? Well, it's on both. You can address it in two ways. Uh, we, we can all try our hardest to change our, our habits, which we've built up over a long time mm. about ignoring minor illnesses. But the other thing is uh, there are tools the government can use. It can try educate people better about this need. It can promote it on TV and the radio. It can also use a tool called active case finding, where you go out into the community in person or on the phone and ask people if they have symptoms and if yes, immediately get them tested. I just want to go back to the contact tracing issue uh, for a moment and I appreciate that um, you want the Ministry of Health to be in a position to, to comment with the very latest stats as to its capacity and that sort of thing. But from your position, do you have confidence that the Ministry of Health can get its contact tracing up to the standard where it would be acceptable to move to level two next week? They were on track and working on all my recommendations really hard, so I hope so. OK. Um, can you just explain the difference between contact tracing at, at level three and level two? Because I imagine that case numbers are, are somewhat like compound interest and in that as soon as you extend your bubble tenfold, you extend the risk. That's, that's precisely right. And so um, it, contact tracing is easy during the lockdown because each person has, on average, four or so contacts. But when you go up to having 20 contacts or being able to take a plane flight, uh, all of those things really exponentially raise the, raise the number of contacts you have. Should we be able to take flights at alert level two for fun, for tourist reasons? For fun. Um, uh, so I think the main thing is whether... 
if you're traveling, those environments can be made safe. That's that's one thing. So if you can have social distancing on planes, so that the question for public health experts and also for the people who run the planes, if that's going to be economical. Uh, and in the environments like airports or ferry terminals um, that are, tend usually to be quite crowded. And then the second thing is really whether we've got um, testing and contact tracing capacity uh, good throughout the country. There's probably one other thing I'd mention about, about travel is we've all done it. We've all delayed going to the doctor because we've got a flight to catch. And we've just got to get out of those sorts of those sorts of habits. Um, if you're ill and you're catching your flight in a couple of hours, you actually have to get tested and stay home. And you can't let the fact that you're looking forward to your holiday put others on your on your flight at risk. What about trans Tasman travel? Do we need contact tracing systems or apps on phones that talk to each other? Yeah, I think before that's um, that's a possibility. Both of our um, countries, Australia and New Zealand, have to be really reassured about each other's data that, um, that our outbreaks are under control. So that means um, really looking at the detailed breakdown in each country um, and really only permitting very low numbers of imported cases and not much else between the two countries. We've, we've got to be reassured each country is testing enough. And I'd add that in Australia, we need to be reassured that New Zealanders living in Australia are being tested enough and there's no barriers to them being tested. And then for contact tracing, you're right, we do have to have really good systems of information exchange between the two countries set down in advance. What would we do if an Australian got sick in New Zealand? How would we notify um, uh, their Australian contacts and vice versa of, of that? I don't know if we need a trans-Tasman app but definitely that system of uh, coordination between the public health authorities in, in Australia and New Zealand. How long are we likely to be at alert level two, all things going well, before we move to level one? Yeah, so I think um, uh, alert level one um, looks, um, I think we probably need to see more detail on what alert level one is really going to um, look like. I know when we first invented the alert system, it said um, that there really was no restriction on large gathering. And I find that hard to imagine that we wouldn't have restrictions on large, at least large indoor gatherings in the, in the next couple of years. I, I think we're likely to need that um, until there's a vaccine or treatment available. You think, for example, that until we have a vaccine, you couldn't go to a big concert with other people? Not where there wasn't um, enough spacing for it to be safe. Should kids be back at school now? In level two, they should be back at uh, school. And sorry, and some are already at school at level, mm. at level three. There's been some really important data come through about children. We've known for a, a few months now that they're less likely to get ill but also studies from the Netherlands and from New South Wales showing that children are much less likely to transmit the illness. I think that's all really reassuring data. But the main thing is for everyone, your risk de depends on the amount of transmission in your community. And we know that's low in New Zealand now. That's really reassuring. Aisha, finally, I just wondered, as we try and go about life in this still severely restricted way. Do you have concerns 
about other negative health consequences of life at level three or indeed in a restricted level two? I think my main concern is about um, if people have had important needs and they've deferred them during the lockdown. Mm. I think that's something we really need to um, we need to get a grasp on in the health system and and be prepared to play catch up for a for a while. That's that's my main worry. Do you concern? Do you have concerns about mental health and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think um, I think for mental health, uh, the lockdown's been a real challenge, and um, and uh, across um, people um, who have uh, severe mental. Um, health needs that um, might be cared for, for as an inpatient, that's been really challenging, as well as people in the community have, have found the whole experience stressful. So I, I think that's a really important issue that um, it's probably be going to be some time before we really know the consequences of it. Dr Aisha Verrill from Otago University. After the break on Q&A, we know Winston's views, but with immigration on hold, what role will migrants play in our economic recovery? I think we need to be looking back at what is the ideal population of New Zealand? That's never been determined and that should be. Kia ora e With our borders closed, except for a trickle of returning New Zealand citizens, we have a frozen snapshot of our population. While some fear the impact of COVID-19 will disadvantage migrants wanting to stay here, others say this is a prime opportunity to pause and consider what sort of population we want and whether we're treating our migrants fairly. Here's Fena Owen. Pierre Serendas from France works as a project engineer in Auckland. He's one of nearly 300,000 migrants living here on a temporary visa. His expires in four months. Although he's applied for residence, he fears the pandemic may have changed everything. I don't know what I should do, if I should still wait or if the government will just cancel all the current applications. We don't know. It's horrific. Absolutely horrific. June Ranson is talking about the uncertainty tens of thousands of migrants face. She's run an immigration consultancy for 30 years and heads the National Association. I think Immigration New Zealand is in a dreadful situation because they're caught in the middle of this. And they're caught in the middle because they're waiting for answers to come out of government. Whether you're coming to New Zealand. With all its offices closed, Immigration New Zealand has limited capacity, suspending processing of residence applications for now and focusing mainly on urgent COVID-19 related applications. In any April or May, around 40,000 people cross the border in and out, but not this year. It's down to just a few hundred a day. The border closure, our flow of people frozen in time, is being studied by demographers like Professor Francis Collins. So it's a little bit unpredictable what will happen, um, but, we, but, but there certainly will be some significant changes around migration related to COVID. Already it looks like we've hit the highest annual net migration ever. For the year ending February 2020, it was sitting at around 65,200, indicating more migrant arrivals than departures. 
I think the interesting question uh, in relation to COVID and what comes next is when border controls are relaxed a little, uh, will we see some of our very large um, overseas population of New Zealanders start to return home? Uh, so there is a very large population of New Zealanders in Australia. Uh, when there's an economic downturn in Australia, we tend to see uh, a return of New Zealanders and fewer people going to Australia. We saw many New Zealanders return home from Australia in 2012-2013 during the Australian mining collapse. Statistics New Zealand demographer Kim Dunstan. What's significant at the moment is that the latest migration figures at least provisionally, uh, indicating a small net gain of New Zealand citizens. And that would be for the first time ever. With many more New Zealanders on the lookout for jobs in this economic downturn, migrants like Pierre don't like their chances. And they prefer to uh, maybe look at more New Zealanders, but um, for this specific job, uh, I think uh, it's a worry for me because I'm already in the country and already working. New Zealand residents, New Zealand citizens first. Goes without saying, absolutely. But we've got to look at the skills these people were bringing. Professor Collins applauds the government's treatment of migrants during COVID-19 and giving them access to health care and the wage subsidy. From my perspective, those are things that we should be considering all of the time. And the COVID-19 crisis didn't create those situations. It's something that, that draws our attention to some of the problems that have already existed around, around migration management. June Ranson agrees but suspects other forces at play. This um, covid 19 has very much played into the government's hands in being able to put a stop to immigration because one of the platforms that was used was in fact that we were going to reduce immigration numbers. Has the government had an impact on migration and the number of migrants we have in this country? Not, not to the extent that perhaps people perceive that it might, but there have been policy changes in recent years that probably affected some of the, some of the flows of migrants. Could tough economic conditions overseas, plus positive perceptions of New Zealand, what demographers call the push and pull factors, make New Zealand an even more attractive place to move to? Sotheby's Realty at the high end of the real estate market told Q&A there's been a significant increase in interest from Australians and Americans wanting to buy homes here. And while visits to Immigration New Zealand's website are lower than usual, registrations of interest in migrating here doubled over the month of April, with interest also mainly from Australia and the US. It's perhaps more likely in the Australian case. You know, people take an interest um, in moments of crisis, whether that leads to changes in the long term. Uh, it often doesn't. But June Ranson, who assists people to move here, says this freeze frame of our population flow is an opportunity to look at the sort of New Zealand we want. I think we need to be looking back at what is the ideal population of New Zealand. That's never been determined and that should be. We're now sitting at 4.9 million and likely to hit five this year. Migration now contributes 60% of our population growth. It used to be birth rate only that pushed it up. With everyone in lockdown and not a lot to do, will we see a spike in the birth rate in nine months' time? 
I've heard that question being asked. I don't know the answer to it. Um, <laughs> there might be a little blip, um, but uh, I don't think we'd expect to see a, 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 a significant transformation in fertility rates. A blip is technical statistician speak for a little spike, but the birth rate tends to slow down during tough times. Economic conditions and uh, the job situation may actually put a suppression on birth and birth rates uh, rather than the opposite of a, a baby blip. Over in Hobsonville, Pierre Serendas is getting ready to move to a new construction site and is eager to help in New Zealand's economic recovery. I really want to stay in New Zealand. It's uh, my second home now, so I want to stay. Now, we asked Immigration New Zealand for advice for Pierre. Under Level 3, immigration staff are not processing any applications unless they meet strict criteria for an exception. But they said staff are planning for Level 2 when more offices will be open and they'll be able to start processing paper-based applications. After the break on Q&A, never have Kiwis been so enthusiastic about seeing our trans-Tasman neighbours. They can travel safely. And uh, Winston Peters, this is a job for you, mate. Hawkey Mai, welcome back. We've started a new segment on Q&A during the coronavirus where we give small business operators, entrepreneurs and charities an opportunity to speak directly with government about what they need to get back to business. This week it's Dan Gerard who thinks there's promise in the trans-Tasman bubble idea. Dan Gerard. I own Astrofix Mobile Windscreen Ship Repairs in Queenstown. We're a windscreen repair company that 80% uh, of our business is rental cars and only 20% is locals. So right now we're closed. We have been helped with the wage subsidy, especially this has really helped us support our employee, but we really need the economy to get going. To get back to business again, we need our customers to earn money so that they can spend it. So we need the government to look at going to level 2.5, being flexible and opening up a lot more businesses. We need to learn in the next two months how domestic tourism can be done safely so that when we have international tourism, which is another key part of uh, getting back to business, we can learn how to do international tourism safely. We need to get the Aussies open and we need to have a bubble with Australia. We believe if we can get them spending some money over here, because they're about 40% of New Zealand's uh, tourism dollar, if the, ours is the only destination they can come to, I don't see why that can't be 50 or 60% of our tourism dollar. And all our tourism business and tourism support businesses such as mine can get going again. Yeah, there will be a lot of business operators in the likes of Central Otago, the Bay of Islands, Rotorua, who are feeling the same way, I'm sure. If you've got a back-to-business message, flick us an email, q&a at tvnz.co.nz, and write back-to-business in your subject line. We'll go to your feedback now, and there has been plenty on the allure of Level 2. A lot of you have said we need to get a wriggle on and move to Level 2, but even more of you have said listen to the experts on this one. Fiona Fredrickson says, yes, we need to move, but with some harder rules, and that includes borders to be kept closed and school to go back in over a month. 
Anthony Streeton says, yes, we should move to level two. Many places are safe and we must move forward and save the economy. Lee says, do it once, do it right. Can't afford to jump back into another level four because we haven't managed to stamp it out. Peter McFarlane says, stick to the plan. No point in cutting corners when we're almost there. Catherine Dew says, no, too many rat bags not complying with level three. Yes, I'm looking at you party animals. You can have your say on our Facebook page. But kua mutu, that's Q&A for this week. We're done. Thanks for watching. And nā mihi kia koutou inga karere. Thanks for your contributions. Remember, next week on Q&A, the government will have just made its decision on whether to move to level two. So there will be a lot to cover off on our programme. Until then, thanks to the Q&A team. Hey Tierra Wiki, we'll see you next Monday at 9.25. QA is made with the support of New Zealand on here.